Hello and welcome to another Sunday Setup for Success, my weekly podcast where I try to set you up with all the tools and tips and tricks for a successful week ahead. This week, I am absolutely excited to share with you my first guest on the podcast. It's my good friend, coach, and colleague, Mary McGee. We met through Lumia, which is the certifying program that we're using to get our coaching certificates this year. And we talk about depression, her experience with depression, my experience with depression. We talk about all the answers that both of us have been looking for in this life. And she has an incredible amount of insight to share. It's a wonderful conversation. Just a quick word of warning. The audio was spotty. The conversation was great, but the connection was not. And so I tried to do the best I can to clean this up so that you can enjoy it. But if you normally listen to podcasts sped up, like in 2X, for example, you may want to slow it down to really get to listen in because like I said, the audio isn't the greatest and I'm only a dumb surgeon with a laptop. So there's only so much I can do to really fix up and tune up the audio portion. But the conversation was absolutely stunning. I got so much out of it. And I want to hear what you have to say after the interview. Mary. Hello. <laughs> How are you, Felix? I'm fantastic. It's it's actually really good to see you. I love having these conversations with you. Um, my Wednesday afternoons are actually something I, I look forward to every week. Oh, so that's so nice. Um, I, I actually hope we can continue this uh, for the foreseeable future because I, I honestly i get so much out of it You've Let's put a re- we'll put a recurring send me a recurring date and we'll do it yes no i mean yeah. seriously i i've gotten so much out of our conversations um you have helped me grow tremendously in the last uh, few you. weeks that we've been doing this um but yeah so uh, uh maybe we should introduce um you a little bit um, okay so obviously we met through lumia um yes. we were in the essentials program together starting this january and you take it from here. Okay. Um, well, I guess Lumia is coaching is my third career. Um, until my mid thirties, I wanted very, very, very much to be a, a modern dancer. And I gave it my entire heart and succeeded at some level, but discovered in my thirties that I really just did not have the technical talent. Um, nor the Korea. I didn't have the technical talent to be able to continue and make a living and, you know, compete with the people who really did, nor did I have the choreographic skill, which would have been another way um, to continue to make a living. So that broke my heart, but I recovered. And then my next career was as a fundraiser, uh, which I did for almost 35 years. And that's an interesting segue because it has to do with passion and creativity it's not the same direct avenue as being an artist but it's a cousin so it was related um and then the third career after i have officially retired um is i i'm becoming a life coach and it's in its own way a method of returning to the very direct expression that being an artist was. Um, That's not really what our podcast connection is about, but um, it's a fun third career. Yeah, absolutely. So it sounds like this creativity has always been a big part of your life. Yes, it's always been a big part of my life. And to tie it to the podcast topic, which is depression, 
Uh-oh. Lost connection here for a second. There we go. All right, we'll record again. Yeah, so um, uh, you got cut off, unfortunately, right? Like right after you started talking. Okay. Um, I think my husband would like that button very much. <laughs> if he could just cut me off. He says something. Sometimes he teases me and says, you go on and on and on and on. So, yeah, the way to keep the marriage together is having on off. Just joking. <laughs> um, uh, I might need some advice on that front. <laughs> yeah, a whole, uh, um, I think the creativity and courage are two of my highest values in my life and the most important things to me. Um, and to go to connect the depression, depression is like a locker of both of those because creativity and courage um I'm making this up as i go along but they certainly are involved with doing something new and having the courage to discover and having the courage to show up as oneself and when you're depressed that isn't going to happen that's one of the painful realities of depression. and uh, my personal history with depression was um up in an affluent family in New York City. Um, you know, Manhattan, um, not super wealthy, but certainly not uh, not poor. And I had um, went to um, French school, and then I went to um, just started my video again. And then I went to a really excellent private high school, which was extremely exciting and some of the best teachers in the country and very very exciting and then i went to harvard so i really was a good student yeah um and in the sophomore year of harvard it's like all the dysfunction in my family and probably my predisposition to depression just um came into full force and i left harvard in the instead of taking an exam harvard is in cambridge massachusetts where it rains snows yeah. Right, yeah, it's a very northeasterly yeah. weather. Yeah, totally. Yeah, very northeasterly weather, worse than New York. And I remember walking in the rain, and I couldn't stop crying, and I wasn't taking my exam. And um, so I went from really being a, quite a an extremely engaged, inventive student. I mean, I wrote a paper on constitutional law. Did really, you know, to work in B. Altman's, which was a department store, and I could hardly work cash register selling nightgowns. So I dropped out of college. Okay. And to think about, I think one of the reasons I was going to say to think about um, preparing for this podcast, I realized how, how 21% of our population in the United States suffers from depression, a major right. depression disorder right. so it's it's very very common and i am now so to speak healed um it's not but depression um or, it's not that i'm healed and i never feel those negative types of feelings but i have a really um, deep understanding and a way to get with them um 
which I found interesting and the some of it, you know, I'll, I'll let you ask me questions so I just don't go on and on. And on. Uh, no, no, it that's took fantastic. a long time and it's a, and has a happy ending. Yes. From from not being able to function almost at all. It's a really happy ending. Yeah. So I'll, I'll let you ask me questions. No, I think um, uh, that's that's honestly that's fantastic um, because I I have depression myself and I'm mm -hmm. still looking for the answers. Um, uh, there's plenty of times in my my in the past when I've had really bad flare ups myself where I was just mm -hmm. it was crippling. I mean, I was just like, you know, uh, crawled you know crawled up in the fetal position behind the couch because mm -hmm. I didn't want people to see me in this state. Um, yeah. but what, what I thought was, so I, I don't have all the answers. I, I'm still trying to figure that out. I mean, I've been on like seven or eight different medications and none of them have terrifically worked. I've been through therapy and it's kind of, mm -hmm. like, mm -hmm. um, so I, I'm still looking for answers. So I'm hoping you can give me some, some insights here today, but, <laughs> but what, what I thought was interesting actually was, um, I was thinking back to my own days in college, uh, when I had some very dark days, mm -hmm. uh, but it was during those dark, like really dark moments in my life. Um, when I had some of my clearest thoughts, yeah, oh, um, uh, it was you know I uh, like for example, um, I mean I could give you so many examples like when I was uh, writing an English essay for example for one of my English classes, um, I would uh, I would almost want to be in one of those deep dark moments because my thoughts were much clearer, my arguments were much better, um, I saw patterns um, that uh, were unique and different. Um, uh, wow. on, the, on the science side of things, um, I was very big into um, anything relating to calculus and and seeing the world through mathematics. And I made connections um, mathematically with the world um, that I couldn't do on my on my clearer days. And so I've always had this love-hate relationship with my depression because I've always seen the world much clearer um, for what it is when I was depressed than when I wasn't. Um, uh, but it's it's also at the same time been uh, debilitating because in those dark moments, I'm not really able to do much. I can see it, I can think, but I'm physically not capable of doing much in those moments. Um, so it's the, there's always a big disconnect for me uh, when, when that happens for me. Um, and I haven't honestly I haven't figured out a way for me to really get myself out of those moments. Um, but I also know, uh, that for myself, I have definitely contemplated suicide multiple times. Um, never acted on it. Um, back then, I don't know what really kept me from going through with it. Uh, nowadays, I have my kids. Um, uh, but back then, I, I you know, looking back at it, somebody asked me the other day, you know, what what get what gets me through these dark moments? Honestly, I don't know what got me through mm -hmm. back there. I I really don't know. Um, so let me ask you this on that. You know, uh, you know, obviously, suicide always goes along with depression. Is that something that mm -hmm. you've ever experienced oh, and what's what's been your i've never um I've definitely it's yes and at the worst of it my daughter was i think in grades so this is 30 years ago maybe um I, I was recently divorced and dealing with that anxiety and the loneliness and um not so much missing my ex-husband, but more the loneliness and the fear of being alone. Yeah. Um, and I, I couldn't sleep very well. And because I was so depressed, I wasn't very capable of relationships. And I did think 
seriously about suicide and I bought a book. There was a book then, so this is about 30, 35 years ago, something, no, three years ago. There was a book about how to commit suicide and involved putting a plastic bag over your head. And, you mm. know, so I had some really close friends and I went to live with them for a while. I yeah. said, I don't think I'm safe. Um, No, that's uh, and, that, you know. and that got me through it, and I think some different medication helped. And what I think is my this is my theory about depression is, um, you know, humans we're such complex systems. No, <laughs> so complex we don't even realize. I remember studying biology, you know, when I was an older adult, and looking at you know worms produced by putting segment five against segment eleven. You know, they lie head to toe and it would be so easy we have yeah. spiritual systems we have sexual systems we have cognitive systems we have we're discovering more and more biological systems they're discovering uh, you know human, uh, um, the microbiome you know like there's so all the neuros i think we're all of those offer Again, this is my opinion, being neither a therapist nor a doctor. And I've never experienced what you experienced. That's fascinating. Um, I think all of those offer a way in to fight this disease that can that can affect everything. Yeah. It sounds like you got you got a better brain, but you were unable to use it. It's right. Fascinating. Right. Um, um, you know, it's it's interesting, like on the complexity of things. I mean, I, I see this every day and I make this comment quite a lot to um, either the nurses I work with or even some of my patients. You know, if you look at the human body and all the thousands of different chemical reactions that are happening, right, whether it's the Krebs cycle or the uric acid cycle or this cycle or that cycle, right? And uh, you think about uh, on a pure chemical level, how many thousands of different chemicals interact with each other to make this thing that is our human body function, Right. And then you show up with a headache and we're like, here, I have some Tylenol, right? It just seems like, right? It's it's so weird to think that here, take this one extra chemical and all of a sudden, right? Your headache is going to go away. It's it's, it's mind-blowing. It's extraordinary. It's, it's really mind-blowing. And I think it seems to me, not being a scientist, that we're well, in part of my fundraising career, I got to uh, raise work for the University of Colorado, which had a really, really strong biotech component and one of the professors um was an early pioneer in the microbiome research you know again not our topic but he and other professors were working and they said maybe we're discovering complexity of human systems you know they're related by the kinds of who knows i certainly don't know but um, i can talk to you a little bit about the last piece of my, so to speak, healing from depression. Yeah, yeah, please do. If you want. So I did do all the traditional routes. I did therapy for a long time. Um, I may also have had an attachment disorder, which means that the, which means to me that for whatever tragic reason, the humans who happened to be my parents were untrustworthy and not you know, that's a heartbreaking thing as a child. Um, but that's a lot of grief. And then the therapy 
which took a long time, like maybe 10 years. I mean, it was a long time to discover that I had made a decision as a young child. I could finally remember the moment in which this is hell with everyone. I'm never trusting anyone ever again. That's it, the end. You know, the mm. spite, spitefulness and rebellion were going to be my way out, and I just don't care. And underneath that, and that took more time, it took a lot of time to get underneath, was the grief, you know, the heartbreak. Um, to experience those for me were, what do they say? Necessary but not sufficient. It's a medical term, right? I think or that's a statistical term. Had to happen. It didn't do enough to deal with the negative patterns or the thought patterns that I had developed and that held me prisoner. So anyone who's been depressed probably knows the called um, rumination. Yeah. Thinking right. that just tortures you that goes on and on and on and on. We, we talked about this in coaching and um, I also have 20 years of sobriety, so I've been an active member of Alcoholics Anonymous. Working the steps, you have to, in my opinion, to discover how polluted, messed up, maybe even full of lies, full of misperception, our neural system has become in our brain. So we know that neurons fire together, wire together is what I some someone told me. So yeah. the negative patterns of I am not lovable, it is not safe. If I go out, I'll get hurt. I'm not worthy. All those deep, deep perceptions that we learned in the trauma of our youth, they broke our hearts, just are now not hardwired into our brain, but they're the connections are so strong, so powerful, and they're the fault connections. That's where the brain goes. What saved me, maybe the right word, in the end, was to be healed enough from the trauma so I could get distance from, I could have distance from the pain. I could see this is triggering an old pain. I see how negative my thoughts are. I'm going to do whatever I can to change my thought patterns. That takes a long time. Yeah, um, it does. It, it takes a long time. And I think this is the, the, the most comfortable part of it in my experience. You have to do new things. Yes. You can't just change your thought pattern by saying affirmations. Actually, for me, I had to go out into the world and do things that were terrifying and build up new experiences and build up new information in my brain. So I had to actually do the, in, this, in a way it comes back to creativity. I had to reach out to people. I had to, in AA meetings, I had to tell the truth. I had to let go of my facade. I had to say, I'm terrified. I had to be willing to be vulnerable. I had to tell my sponsor who was trusted. I had to actually in real time, create new experiences to change those mental beliefs. Right. 
No, I, I mean, was, this I is. Was, I was blessed with a certain amount of courage and support, but it was not easy, and yet it's worth it. No, no doubt. Um, you know, what I was just thinking about uh, when you were saying you have to go out and create new experiences, right? It, it made me think about Einstein saying, if yes. you're doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results, that's insanity, right? He um, said you cannot solve a problem the same level of consciousness at which it was created. That's right. That's right. And that's exactly true. And everything in the depression wants to keep you that same level of consciousness. And it's probably a safety mechanism. It might even mean well, it might even say you were hurt when you did this before. So I'm going to do whatever I can to keep you from being hurt ever again. It's just now it's not true. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. Absolutely. It's, it's not easy. It's not. And it takes time too. I mean, like you said, uh, you know, you have to create new experiences and, and new brain pathways. And, you know, we, we yes. know that it takes easily about three months to create those new pathways yes. and solidify yes. them. Right. So that it, it's a process that takes time to do that. I think it actually takes more than three months. I, I know that's a figure. That's what we say, but it takes longer than that, I think. And that's why, and and this is the other hard part. You have to, I had to close the escape routes. So alcohol was an escape route. You know, if, if you drink because you're in pain and you keep drinking, you'll never do anything different. Right. And that just, it, or whatever it is, if it's drugs, if it's, I mean, any of those escape routes. Um, we as humans are so good at creating. Work, yeah, that's that's very a good true. escape route, right? Um, well, I I don't know if it's good. It's it's um, <laughs> and is it really an escape or is it really just a way of masking your current symptoms? All of the above, I think. Yes. Right. Yes. It's it's almost like uh, you know, I would almost say that you know, something like alcohol or drugs, if anything, it's like you're standing in the middle of a, of a burning house and you're just putting a wet towel over yourself. You're not yeah. really getting out of the house. You're just cooling down a little bit. House is still burning. Yeah. They say with the addiction, and I think this is true, is you don't, because the addiction keeps you from doing things that, and these are all my opinions and not, you know, um, Opinion said in a conversation, which may mean in a deeper conversation, I might say something a little more reflective. But sure. um, if you, ch if when I chose to drink instead of doing things that were difficult, it meant that my emotional growth stopped, stopped learning. Um, so okay, you're you're forty years old, but you have the emotional maturity of a sixteen-year-old. That, that's Welcome to the real world. This is yeah. why you need support. It's not. It's not easy. Right. But it's fun, and in so many of the recovery programs, we do provide support, which is, um, I think, an extraordinary model of change. Yeah, and I'm sure that for you must have been especially hard with your uh, with the attachment disorder as well to get to get help to seek out help from others. Well, I couldn't. I couldn't for a long time. I, I did stop drinking almost 20 years ago. I couldn't 
bear to be in AA meetings until about two years ago because it exacerbated the attachment disorder. So all this affection happening and warmth thing, they, they couldn't, they just couldn't. So it took a little it took more therapy. Yeah. I had, a, I had a deep wound. It sure sounds like it. But I mean, what yeah. an extraordinary story for you to be able to get through all this and come out the other end. I mean, I hats off to you, Mary. I mean, that's... Well, thank you, Felix. Um, I'm meant you know, to now be in service to other people. Exactly. Um, exactly. Turn around and try to help yeah, others through these. So. I think so. So how how old were you when you first recognized that you might have depression? I would imagine that came well before you were officially diagnosed with it. Um, you know, it's, in, I'll tell you something I don't tell many people. This, so this was a long time ago. I'm, I'm actually now in my later seventies. I was young when I went to college. I was a year young. So I left Harvard in 1963. And just to give a perspective, I did this research. The, um, Prozac wasn't invented until 1987. <laughs> yeah, um, way later. They were early, early drugs were, I think, terrible. Um, Virginia Satir, who did groundbreaking work on family therapy, published her first book on family systems, how what can happen in a family. The first book was published, I think, in 1964. So therapy was really new. Yeah. Um, and I was actually diagnosed as a schizophrenic. Um, yeah. yeah, that's what my, I... Um, that's different. <laughs> well, it is different, and I wasn't. And um, I think they just didn't know. Yeah. And I think how could how um, I never had never heard voices. I think it was how could a young woman who had seemed so successful have such a breakdown? Um, you know, I don't know to this day. I don't know whether, um, I know it took me years to learn to function in the world. I knew it was excruciating. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I think, I think they, I think therapy was so new at that time. Um, and the only way I know, I, this is a, a, this shows you my family. Um, one of my sisters said to me, you're schizophrenic. Why don't you just commit suicide and end it all? Wow. So that was, yeah, that was my family. Your so sister that's how said I found that. One of my sisters said that. Wow. So we since have a many, many years later, we have a good relationship, although I would not tell her my deepest secrets. But, yeah, um, <laughs> not yeah. after that. Wow. So that's who knows? You know, yeah. we don't. Was new? Was it the family system? Well-meaning people who are so deeply, deeply complicated, yeah, and ill-matched. You know, so who knows? You know that that the ill-match uh, that that could be it, right? I mean, uh, it very much depends on where you're in the country, who you have access to, what their experience is, what their interest is. 
Um, you know, it's, uh, I see this in medicine all the time, right? It's, it's not every hospital is the same. And we sort of equate every hospital is the same. If I have a problem, I'm going to go to the hospital, but who the people there are and what their experiences and what right. their expertise is with taking care of you might not be the same as at a different hospital. Right. Right. Um, and uh, I mean, the same goes obviously in the mental health world with therapists and, and whatnot, right? And Everybody in, has- and in 1963, this time I, I was referred to an analyst. And so to me, I look back and say, model of a young woman lying on the couch, not being able to see the person, him not talking much, or a person who's heartbroken because of the lack of attachment and connection. Maybe that wasn't quite the right thing. Yeah. And that was just a further attachment experience. Right. Oh, for um, sure. With an, uns- with an unsupportive, to me, unsupportive human who was probably just following the model of Freudian analysis at that time. And this was new. Therapy was new. Yeah. Yeah. So another if- therapist said to me, I mean, this was, I remember sort of shopping around at this time. He said, Oh, you're just a poor little rich girl, aren't you? You know, it's like, okay, we're not, this is not exactly, um, compassion one might find in therapy these days. Yeah, I, I would hope that therapy nowadays runs a little bit differently. Uh definitely more compassionate, definitely a bit more focused on the on the patient in, in front of us, right? Um, and, on, and on the needs for human beings to connect and understanding what can happen in a family, what can happen to an infant. You yeah, know, that's a that's a profound trauma, right? You know, I I, I think about that uh, even just like with my kids growing up, and uh, thinking back to my childhood and how I was raised and whatnot. And um, every time I'm thinking about what are the implications of this decision that I'm making today in 20, 30 years for them. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's it's it is right. Yeah. And um, but it's it's interesting. It's intriguing, really, to have this insight into these truly formative years and what kind of impact that can have down the road. I mean, there's, there's little things from my childhood that I specifically remember for the impact that they had on me, but you know, it, you know, prospectively now for me, from, from now doing this with my own kids, like, I don't know which one of those moments that we have will have that same impact on them. And for whatever reason, right. Whether good or bad, I don't know. Um, it's, it's. I hope uh, that when children have, basic primary connection and a basic physical connection you know i mean i was left i think also on okay you know, and they they know those stories of the kids and you know in the orphanages i don't mine wasn't that but i think most people interact with their children in the very primary mammalian ways that will satisfy that will keep the trauma that happen to me from happening so so your kids i would imagine feel like the kinds of experiences you're talking about can't wound them that deeply it'll affect them but not not like that don't think. you know i i i like to hope so but again like i you know 
we'll know in 20 years, right? Right. That's the thing. I mean, right now in the moment, I have no idea. And I obviously have no intentions of, of creating any harm for my kids. I want them to grow up in a positive way for them to be able to develop into their own human beings and have their own identity and, um, be strong characters in the world. Um, but how all of this is going to turn out, I mean, who knows time will tell. Um, so, but speaking of time, so, I mean, you've obviously been dealing with this, uh, you know, depression thing in your own life for a very long time. You've been mm-hmm. pretty much with it since the dawn of, let's say, modern psychology. Right. So, right. Um, you know, looking back at all the things that you've been through with your depression, the answers you were trying to find, um, what's been your experience? What has worked? What hasn't worked? Okay. And where, and, where, and do, actually, where do we still need to go? Well, this is um, what. Where I'd like to jump in is what I've learned just in the past two years. So this is just my personal experience. Right. No, absolutely. Um, This I learned um, learned actually by, I learned both in coaching and studying coaching. And I learned um, in a very active daily involvement in the program of AA with I think a very enlightened, what we call home group, I saw. What I learned, this may sound brutal, but I learned how self-centered and how egotistical, in a way, how selfish depression is, because it's always, when I am depressed, what do you think I'm focused on? I'm focused on myself. Yes, I'm only yes. thinking about myself. Yes. And I'm only repeating um, patterns of self-pity. And I'm really only repeating Felix's illusions. So my, an AA is, I think AA is just a great model of healing. And I've been blessed to have um, incredible woman as my sponsor who is also i think very spiritually oriented so what does the role your higher power and god come in that's a whole other animal that i'm not quite ready to talk about but um to realize how we perpetuate our myth i had to realize and be able to see and again i was healed from the deep trauma I had had enough experiences. I had done well at work, had made friends, you know, I have a long-term marriage, had a lot of things that through therapy and through the medication I had been able to do in my life. So I had made a lot of real life progress. Maybe this is why I was able to understand this. Um, Just to realize how self-involved, how much drama I was reliving in my brain that didn't matter. And in coaching, um, I almost quit three times because I was such a perfectionist. I was so ashamed if I couldn't do it well, you know, as we were learning. And then one day I was going to never coach again. I thought, okay, I'll go to the classes, never coach again. Some people in our class said, I'm really struggling. And I realized, oh, I'm not alone. And the shame that I felt it, it was all eco shame. It was, I wasn't able to focus on the person I was coaching, but focusing on my own performance. That's self-centered. That's yeah. self-centered. Um, 
had to realize in friendships, oh, I'm, oh, if you go in last to the meeting, you never smile and you are the first to leave and you don't ever open up your body position and you don't ever ask anyone else how they are, maybe you're not going to make friends. Maybe you have to um, you have to I don't know how to say it as deeply as it the realization has to happen. It really isn't all about you. And what you your I would go to a meeting and think so-and-so doesn't like me. I can tell because that person isn't smiling when I share something. It wasn't true. Yeah. And either but I believed it. So I had to have take the courage to say to my sponsor, I was jealous when you walked out with so-and-so and you went to lunch with so-and-so, and that means you don't love me. I had the courage to admit that I had the emotions of a three-year-old sometimes in order to be able to realize it's not true. What that perception is wrong. Perception is a trigger for your old trauma. It's no longer true. It's not happening. And you have to have the courage to, as I say, admit that you have the emo admit that I have the emotions of a three-year-old, that they torment me, that I would go home and ruminate on them instead of taking the action to have the courage to at least say, can I check in on reality? I'm 78 years old, but in, in part of me is still three yeah. and have the courage and get other feedback to build a new experience and to go out to lunch with people and realize, oh, this doesn't make me comfortable, but maybe if I focus on the other person, I'll feel better. I mean, they're, they're kind of primitive skills should be learned as one grows up, but I didn't learn. You know, I didn't either. <laughs> yeah. You know, it, it took me... I think a lot of us didn't learn them. Yeah. And then we think it's all about me and I'm such a victim and, and complicated because the trauma was real. Yeah. And the absolutely. hurt was real. The heartbreak was real. The brain, brain is not reliable always. Right. It's just a machine and it has a lot of bad data. Right. Right. Bad data. There's a saying in, there's a saying in AA. Don't go in your brain alone. It's not a safe neighborhood, you know, um, which is funny. But... So then the mind, what does the mind, have to do? what does spirituality have to do? I mean, it's, that's why it's complex. Yeah. Mind is not our brain. Does our mind access to a deeper reality, a deeper view of love, a deeper spirituality? And, you know, it's complicated. I think yes. The answer to that question is yes. What the hell do we call that? Yeah, I don't know. Um, yeah. I, but I, I actually, I, I sort of had this this thought from from what you were just saying, is really the first step is. Um, I mean, just if your example there. I mean, I, I think we talked about this a few weeks ago in one of our coaching sessions. From uh, you had that uh, new. Uh, a member and you thought I think it was a woman and I think um, you, you kind of made up some ideas about who she was um, but then when you actually started talking to her it turns out that your ideas were completely false about her right um, totally. right and just open up your brain about like holy shit um, I was totally wrong um, but yet I was so convinced about 
my thoughts. So what's what's yeah. really and, and this is like one of the things that I haven't uh that, that I really haven't figured out, right? I mean, there has to be some kind of recognition that your thinking could be improved. Um and I think there's a second component to that, at least from my experience, um, that you have to recognize that you are the solution to your own problem. Yeah. No one else. There is no knight in shining armor. There's no superhero. There's no one else that's coming to save you. All that work has to come somewhere from within you, right? Yes. Uh, even even going to therapy, a therapist can you know help you and you know hold your hand and guide you a little bit, but you're still the one that has to do the work. Yeah. Um, right. So I think step one is the recognition that there's something that needs to be done that's different. And then the next thing is recognizing that you're the one who has to do the work. And then right. you know what the work ultimately is that I think is somewhat dependent on your circumstances and where your trauma comes from, where your depression comes from. But those first two steps, I think, are crucial to get to the right treatment. And, and I haven't figured out um, how to get people to see that yet. And, and I'm coming at this really from, uh, honestly, the most selfish of reasons. And that my brother is an alcoholic. Um, he's suffering yeah. from depression, and I and I, I can't get him to recognize. You know, he's still looking for answers either in a bottle or in some kind of medication, or have someone else help him out. He's still not able to see that he's the one that has to do the work. Yeah. Uh, I want to say one thing to you about your brother in a minute. Third step, and yes. I call this recognizing your needs in the moment of choice we've talked about my idea of depression hack is even when person does take step one and step two and acknowledges that he or she has to do the work and this is where aa talks about a higher power but that's a whole different that's a different topic um it says you don't have to do this alone. There is a source in the universe that will give you support. But the dark moment will come. And I believe that we, I know I benefited from being able to have someone I could call and say, I'm about to make the really destructive choice. Yeah. I'm about to have a drink. I'm about to blow up my marriage. I'm about, about whatever it is. Um, Help me not do that. I need you to tell me right now. Give me a little bit. Of, give me some B12 so I can make the choice that I know is the right one. Yeah. I think we all need the B12. Um, and that's what coaches do, what therapists do. I think for your brother, um, and I was talking about this yesterday with my sponsor. That's why we talk about bottoms. It has to get so bad. Yeah. That you have to be willing to give up your pride or give up the illusion that you can do it by yourself. You have to be willing to admit you ha has to be so bad that you're willing to do just about any you're willing to do anything. And the people who come in, I just know AA well, it could be any addition first meeting that walk down the hall finding the first meeting is just terrifying excruciating but you know right i i can't even imagine i mean people have to be something has to happen 
to bring them a realization that they have to do something else. Yeah. An alcoholic, I mean, we say about ourselves, we're really selfish, prideful. Um, if he happens to be smart, it's even worse. I was smart. Your brain can really trick you, you know. It's it's the tough deal. You can't do it for him. He's gotta get there. No, absolutely. Right. Yeah, he, I know. This is it's this tough. is absolutely not something that, you know, I, I can't give him the answers. The answers have to he has to find them for himself. Um and that's if anything, that's the tough part for me as an outsider looking at him. Um, so, yeah, but that I have, I have of... a friend just died from alcoholism. She yeah. was a good friend. She could not stay with the program. She kept relapsing and relapsing, and she drank herself to death. Yeah, literally. I mean, no. literally. Um, yeah. Unfortunately, alcohol does that to you. Um, it's it's a terrible substance, and even to think, I mean, uh, the more I delve into um, mental health and and look at all this stuff, um, the fact that alcohol is can be legally purchased and yes. marijuana cannot uh, is right. just mind boggling, mind boggling, right? right? Yeah. Just looking yeah. at how destructive alcohol is, um, and, and we consider that perfectly normal. Um, I don't we, think much of any drug of escape. But... Alcohol, I don't think there are very many people drink normally. Maybe that's my family, but I've known one or two people who could have one drink, one drink every six months, and that's it. Like, yeah. I, I don't know of many people like that. Yeah, no, I mean, I'll tell you something. I mean, I, I, I would say I used to drink a whole lot more. Um, usually my work has really prevented me from, from uh -huh. really, you know, doing any sort of heavy drinking. Um, I've never liked how I felt afterwards or the next day anyways. Um, but recently I've, I have very little interest in alcohol. Um, I mean, I can go months Thank without God. a drink and be perfectly fine. It's just not, it's just not a part of my life. You know, it's just yeah. not something that's on my mind. Um, uh, that, you're lucky. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, it's, but I, but I also look at it from through a different lens, right? I don't look at it through the lens of normal society. I mean, I was just listening to a podcast um, uh, where somebody was talking about actually psychedelics for mental health and what kind of uh, impact right. that can have on depression and PTSD. Um, and and it was really interesting to to hear the the comment saying, if I go to a restaurant and order and don't order an alcoholic drink, I'm considered weird, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Right, 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 <laughs> right. Uh, if if I go out into the world and do ayahuasca or or peyote or do some of those psychedelic retreats in order to get myself better, I'm considered weird. But if I go to the bar on Friday night and drink myself to death, that's considered normal, right? right? I mean, it's just it's a bizarre perspective of looking. We at have it. a very strange culture. We do yeah. not have a culture that necessarily promotes mental health for sure. Absolutely. For sure. Absolutely. Sure. Sure. So on the, on that journey then, so um, how did you end up uh, coming full circle from the, you know, being scared to go to the meeting, being scared to open up, you know, with, between the attachment disorder and the depression, uh, your alcoholism, right? I mean, you've got all these challenges to come through. And now in the last two years, something must have changed for you to even go as far as saying, I want to become a coach so that I can actually turn around and help others out with that. I mean, that's a complete 180 from where you started. So what happened? It to is you? a complete 180. No, I don't. Um, I'm not sure I know 
truly the answer. One is I did retire. I worked till I was 76. I did retire. Um, that gave me time. I did work through the fear of coaching. Um, it started while I was still working got too scared and quit. my my mo is to run away and disappear i mean that's my main that was my main solution to anything is just leave run away um maybe it was the accumulation of successes of wins of it's it's really sometimes a real pain as an employee, I mean, I was arrogant and I knew better and I was, I had authority issues. I was also very good at my job, had a lot of successes. Um, my last job, I was a team leader and I had a lot of compassion, mm -hmm. empathy for my staff. Um, so I had, you know, good, I guess in my, as, as I kept, fighting the depression and kept showing up in whatever way I could. I'm still on medication. I still take medication. All that, the wins accumulated. And another one of my theories is you have to keep your life together in depression because if you don't, I have a friend who couldn't go to work. This just gets worse yeah. because you don't have any, you have to keep some structure in your life so you can build your mental health. Um, so whatever, and I had to earn a living. So thank God I had, was a good mom. My daughter is successful. I was, I was a lot of things, maybe my education, my love of learning, you know, whatever gifts you have, they, they will help. The joy of learning, the joy of nature. Um, but I retired and I somehow made a decision that in my retirement, I wanted to learn I guess how to love people and to learn how to be intimate. I wanted to learn how to stand it and I wanted to face the fear. So I decided I made a decision and I found this incredible AA meeting better than any other meeting I'd ever been to where it was very much about connection and about spirituality. It's threaded where real confrontation with the, the um, all the blindness of addiction, all the, you know, the self-indulgence of addiction. Um, and maybe it was just time, you know, 78 is not very young, so it's really time, but um, theme of my coaching, the tagline is going to be, it's never too late to become who you were meant to be. That's right. So, um, is it the grace of God? Is it just, is it that human beings, that we get mystical, human beings are innately strong and innately good and innately aspirational. And if there's anything, to, I know obviously is not really true, but human beings will thrive if given a chance. Yes. Um, and we see many circumstances where there's not was not poor, did not live in poverty, I did not live in a country at war, you know, all those things. But 
Yeah, but so it, it the interesting thing is, so I, I actually just had a discussion with um, uh, another coach this week on, you know, what, what were my challenges in life? And we yeah. kind of talked about it. And I honestly, I, I used the, my own depression sort of as a, as sort of as an addendum, like, oh, well, you know, I've, I don't think depression counts and my suicide thoughts or any sort of challenges that I would really add to the list. And she's like, wait, what? what? Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're telling me that you go going through these dark moments. You don't see that as a challenge, right? Um, and that actually gave me a different perspective on it. I was like, well, you know, now that you mentioned that, I mean, yeah, was that challenging? Absolutely. Am I still trying to figure this out today? Yes. Yeah. Um, I, but it's it's not the uh, sort of that that stereotypical challenge that we see coming out of Hollywood movies, right? Where somebody overcomes like this major obstacle. Like you, you don't see like big Marvel movies being made about depression. Um, well, so- well, wait, wait, we saw we saw Goodwill Hunting. He got well in three months. Yes. You know, so, right. I mean, come on, you don't get well in three months. Or no, right. It's a wonderful movie with Denzel Washington and a young man who had suffered severe sexual abuse. He got well in six months. Come on, you don't. Yeah. I, mean, yeah. I don't think but, so. But, but but that's the thing. You know, any sort of mental health that you see, even coming out of Hollywood movies, there's always a you know a beautiful, you know, romantic, exciting, right. everybody's happy kind of ending, right? Um, but that's not, at least that hasn't been my experience right. <laughs> by you, but that's usually not how it is. And it's, it's years later, I'm still dealing with it. Right. It's, you know, right. three months later, six months later. I mean, that I was still the same. And, person and maybe that's time. what life is. I mean, life is, um, yeah. I mean, certainly life is dealing with challenges. That's one of the great things of human strength is that we can deal with challenges and if we can ever get outside ourselves maybe it's not about our own personal happiness anyway you know it's it's, this is new thinking for me it's being part of a whole yeah it's new thinking for me i talk to me in another year felix i'll tell you more (laughs) (laughs) i mean that's that's definitely interesting perspective um I'm, i'm gonna i'm gonna do some thinking about that myself um, but, uh, no, I want to bring this back to you, to your own coaching. Uh, obviously you turn it around, you, oh. you, you're doing a coach and being a coach now, and you have this anti-depression program, which I was so excited to learn about. So tell me what, what it is that you're putting together and, and who you're trying to work it, with. What's, okay. what's the, well, what's it's the brand, deal? It's, it's brand new, um, as a new coach and having just completed one course and getting certified and waiting for the international coaching certification in six months. Um, I'm just beginning to find out what my gifts are, what my voice is, use the word niche, whom I want to help. Um, but one of the things I've realized, it's, it's a little bit a combination of AA and coaching. Um, as a coach, I'm not going to be a superficial you know, I, I will go deep because that's how my brain goes. And I was realizing one day about three weeks ago, I was having a hard day. And I was thinking, I just need to call someone. I just need to talk. And I did. I felt much better. So I have this. This is what I've talked to you about. Call them. They're, and this is a work in progress. Life hacks, depression hacks, or maybe after Ghostbusters, who are you going to call? Yeah, um, yeah. Who are you gonna call? Who are you gonna call? Because Coach be Mary. 
<laughs> yeah, there should be some humor in here. Yes. That, that's the what we talked about, the third action for people who have committed to change and who have committed to try to build something new in their life. That means they have accepted whether they know it or not. When you, when you turn that corner, I think I've seen this on Facebook, the first, you decide to change the first person you meet is fear. Say hello, walk on by. But you decide to make change going to necessarily encounter all the reasons that you didn't change before. They're going to come up and they're going to, they're going to come up. They're going to, I don't know if to say they're going to try to hook you. They're going to come up and then what, what are you going to do? It's the middle of the night. It's midnight. It's whenever that escape behavior tempts you, who are you going to call? Yeah. Because it's hard to do that alone. It's really, really hard. And I could feel inside myself, um, it really felt like a destructive force that said, it has to do with making the decision of I don't care ever. I'm never going to trust anyone again. It's that same thing. It's related to being making a decision out of spite to say the world can never hurt me. I don't care. The hell with you. It's just a very dark, rejecting, angry force in me. It's very strong. It's my experience of it. I can't do that by myself. Right. So who are you going to call? You might not need a whole session. You don't need a whole, you just need someone who can say, keep breathing, stay on the phone, don't take that thing. You're going to be okay. Remember, whatever it is, remember, what do you need? You know, maybe the person says, I need you to tell me I'm worthwhile. I think we probably each know the kind of positive thoughts that would mean the most to us, that would take us away from anger, maybe to tears or to our softness. Um, what do you need? And that person will stop the temptation. And say something nice. It's my vision of it. Yeah. It could be a 20 minute call. It could be a 30 minute call. It could be, you know, a 10 minute call. Right. And to offer that as a service for people in the midst of change. Um, you know, Stephen Covey talks about this in the first things first. He talks about pause in the moment of choice. Victor talks about it too. When you're at the mercy of hot emotions or the mercy of your anger or the mercy of revenge or the mercy of wanting to kill your, not kill, but, you know, tell your spouse he's a shit and he'll always be a shit and that's all there is to it and it's his fault and you hate him and you're walking out and that's it, I want a divorce. Probably if none of which are really true. It's hard to pause. Yeah. So this is um let me let me uh let me pounce on that for a little bit. Uh maybe mm -hmm. maybe uh this may be a little bit of a challenge for you, but um Okay. Love challenges now. Yeah, no. So in those yeah. deep dark moments, right? Um uh I've had people come to me and um offer their help and, and tell me, you know, I, sh I I there's really no reason for me to think this way because I'm actually a good person. 
uh, and and look at all the things that I've achieved and accomplished and blah blah blah, trying trying to boost me up. Um, that that was never anything that I needed right. in those moments. Um, right. uh, no, and but nobody even like I would say some people may have asked me occasionally, hey, what what do you actually need from me, right? And uh, there's there's from my perspective, there's two problems with that. Number one is, um, I don't think I knew myself what I really needed in that moment. Right, uh, right. But it wasn't wasn't being told how awesome I am, right? Um, and then number two is, in those moments, I felt like I wanted to isolate myself, uh, yes. get get yes. away from people, um, yes. because um, and I think there's there's a few reasons. I mean, that, that maybe some biological protective mechanism where I was trying to get away from the crowd so that I wouldn't infect them with my badness, right? Um, maybe there's some part of shame where I just didn't want people to see me like this. Um, but either way, it's it's definitely something where I was trying to isolate and actually get away from people uh, as much as I knew I needed help. Yes. And so that was that was really the problem. I, I knew I needed help, but I didn't know what it was that I needed. Right. So nobody, at least from my experience, nobody that's ever been there during those moments who has provided me with anything um, has really given me something that where I could latch on. So, oh, that was actually something that was really helpful right now. So what, I, do you have any insights on that? Like how can we break through to people in those moments and what 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 could actually I, possibly be good for them? I, I think I do because I know those moments really, really well. And um, yeah, I have, I have a bunch of things to say. It is excruciating. AA, we talk about the phone that weighs 100 pounds. Okay. You know, you go to AA, you get a phone list and all of this. And there's so much talk about when you want to drink, call somebody when you feel bad. Nobody, nobody ever does in the beginning. Yeah. It's excruciating. And um, you're right. Shame. You don't know why. You don't know what you need. People do tend to say um, bullshit things, but they do tend to say like you're really things that just aren't right. Like, oh, you're really a good, oh, look, Felix, you got a degree. Isn't that wonderful? That doesn't help you. Yeah. You know, they, they say they do. That's a very real situation. Um, one of the ways I conquered it was, um, and this was in the meeting, um, I was dealing with absolute terror of other women and a heartbreak, you know, and this desire of wanting to connect and not wanting, being terrified and all the shame. Um, so I did mention it and I mentioned, you know, I can't ever pick up my phone. It's just, I can't. And a friend of mine said, well, you could text me. So texting, so I could text. And then you know, texting is something. You could say, I'm in trouble. I don't want to, don't call me back. That's a, that's a baby step. Because these things do take baby steps, but it was yeah. a was a first step into the shame. And then later, with the same woman, um, became a trusted friend. Uh, it was okay. I'll text you. It's okay for you to call me back, and then I wouldn't answer. And then she would say, "Mary, it doesn't count if you don't answer." You know, as a joke. But and I would share this in meetings because I had to, my healing 
I had to, this would not be true for everybody, because I was so afraid of community and I was so afraid of people, I had to keep admitting that in front of people. These were people who were supportive so that I could get it out in front of myself and admit it, get a chance to see. It's like taking that demon out inside and looking at it and getting a chance to see if it's really real or not. Okay, this is the demon. This is what I'm dealing with. And then start working on that demon. But it wasn't easy feeling. And it is baby steps. And if the steps are too big, they could traumatize you. Right. So, but it's that third one. And that is part of the, we do use our, in my experience, couldn't, getting well meant finding the part of me that wanted to get well and giving that part more power than the darkness, little by little. Right. Because the darkness wanted to run away. You know, that's that's a good point. I was just thinking, actually, um, in one of my moments, there was, there was one time when, um, more recently, when I was starting to be a little bit more open and, and I, I started recognizing that I need help, I, I remember reaching out to a friend saying, hey, uh, I'm not feeling well, I need help. And it wasn't anything specific about the conversation. They did nothing. They were just there to listen. Um, and I didn't have a whole lot to say. Um, but that first step was enough to keep me going afterwards. Right. Um, and I think you, we need, and this is hard, is to find a person with whom we can take that first baby step, not have the shame be magnified. Yeah. I, I said to one woman in the meeting, um, I said, it's just excruciating for me to call. This is really what I dealt with, what I had to deal with. I mean, I hadn't had a drink in 18 years, but I had to go to a place where I would deal with this, and that's what they did. This woman said to me, said, it's excruciating for me to call. I feel so embarrassed and so ashamed. And she said, and it sort of makes me lose me to tears. She said, that's okay, Mary. The person on the other end knows how you feel, and they'll do all the talking. Yeah. Because it was, it was like there was a trusted support person who understood the shame, who understood the pain, who didn't expect anything, but who could say, you took that step. Right. And you probably will discover what it is you want to hear. What I like to hear is just that you took that step. You're you're courageous. Yeah, so I, I, it's right. You feel human. That's what that's what works for me. That other people, different kind of affirmation or recognition will work for them. Yeah, but taking that first step is the hardest. But it's also it's very hard. It's it's such a little step, and it's yet it's so hard to do. It is excruciating that's why we call it the 500 pound phone you know yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh no nah, that's i i totally get that uh i i totally get that with the the 500 pound phone you know how how 
you know, the, the weight really, and sometimes it almost feels like way physically even way heavier than it really is. Um, oh, it does. Right. So it's the, it, there's definitely the mental heaviness, but there's a physical heaviness to that as well, for sure. I mean, so, because the dog, the dog in the shelter who's in the corner, it takes dog wild to come out. Yeah. Yeah. So how do, how do, how can people connect with you? Like if they're interested in working with you, if, if they want to hear more about any of this, how, how can they, how can they find you? Well, that's a really good question because I don't have a website yet. Um, uh, should I give you my email? Uh, it totally up to you. I mean, anybody that uh, listens to this, if they want to reach out to me and I'll connect you with Mary, that's perfectly fine. Um, Let's do happy that. To make that, that. I, I, I'd be happy to make that introduction for anybody who's interested. Um, but yeah, no, let's, yeah, let's I know you. So, so I know you have a website in the making, though. It's in the making. Um, uh, yes, it is. Maybe in a month or something, and it will be meaningfullifecoaching.com. But it's not up yet. Meaningfullifecoaching.com. Life okay, awesome. It's never too late to become um, who you were meant to be, and I think the logo is going to be something like a path through the mountains. Well, yes, that's that's perfect because uh, you're in Colorado and the mountains are absolutely yes, stunning. Yes. Stunning. 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 Yes, that's beautiful. Well, awesome. We've been at it for a long time. Is there anything else, uh, any other concluding thoughts you have um, on this topic? Yes, if people are listening, if they're listening, that means that you want something. And I guess keep going after it because it's all you can do and it will just keep going after it. And the teachers come and the avenues come and whatever you do will help as long as it's not drugging or those kinds of things. This will not help. Yes. Anything. There's, yeah. There's so much in the world that wants to help. Any way is a good way. Very true. Very true. There's definitely help out there. You just gotta you just gotta want it. Seek it out. It's there for you. Uh, Absolutely. Beautiful. Now now I'm joking, gay dog. (laughs) (laughs) That that helps too. Awesome. Well, Mary, I have two at my feet. Thank you, Felix. No, this this was a wonderful conversation. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um I know we will Yes, no, it really honors mine. And I know we will continue to have this conversation uh, outside of this forum for sure. We will. All right. Thank you, Felix. All right. What did you think? What did you think? Wasn't that absolutely amazing? I got so much out of it. Uh, My head is honestly still spinning with some of the stuff that we talked about. It'll take me a few days, I think, to get some clarity on all the stuff we discussed. But um, Mary has been such a wonderful person in my life, truly an incredible coach. Uh, she has unlocked so many secrets within me over the last few months. Uh, it's been an incredible journey for me and just a wonderful, wonderful connection uh, that I made through Lumia. So I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Uh, let me know in the comments, connect with me on the socials, send me a message. Let me know what you thought about this conversation with Mary. If you want to connect with her, her website is in the works. Uh, so in the meantime, connect with me and I'll be sure to connect you with her if that is something that is of interest to you. In the meantime, have a wonderful week and don't forget to unleash your genius.